How much time do you spend on social media? Did you know that there's over 4 billion people in the world on social media? That's a lot. And the world average is spending 2.5 hours a day going on different social media websites. And those 2.5 hours might mean something very different to a number of different people. Either way, it is a very large world average. And sometimes the things you see on social media can really affect how you see the world. In short, what you see on social media can potentially change your perception of things in the real world. My name is Louis Quillerotolo, and I am a food science PhD student at the University of Guelph. And when I am procrastinating from getting my degree, I like to talk to other scientists in or recently from grad school who have a lot to say about what they know. This week, we are talking with Josh Davis, a recent Guelph alumni who studies the effect social media has on our perception of events that are happening in the real world. Josh looks at the effect that watching videos on social media about people partying might affect your perception of partying. Slight content warning before we get started. There will be a number of situations and phrasing that have to do with drinking and consuming alcoholic products. However, this episode is not necessarily about the behavior of drinking itself. It's more about how our perception of it changes when we watch certain videos online. So close the social media apps for a minute and listen to this media that is about social media. Well, either way, while you're listening, keep in mind that we are relatively new scientists in our fields, and we don't know everything, which is why the show is called We Know Some Stuff. Hi, Josh. How you doing today? Good, Lewis. How you doing, man? Hi, I'm doing all right over here. Could you do us a favor and talk everyone through your educational history? Sure. Yeah. So I did my undergrad at the University of Guelph. I did it in um, honors psychology with a minor in neuroscience. And then I did a master's in applied social psychology, again, at the University of Guelph. And um, after I defended my master's, I'm now currently working as a um, research associate at the Institutional Research and Planning Department at the University of Guelph. You're seeing a theme here. And I'm also doing um, part-time research consulting with a consultancy in Guelph. Um, all right. So, so you do psychology, which I think is... One, confusing for me, even mm -hmm. as a scientist, to understand even what psychology is. My first thought, you're a therapist, but you're not a therapist. Yes. So, yeah, so that's a very common misperception. So uh, at the University of Guelph, there are four mainstreams of psychology. Um, and so one of them is what you're talking about. It's clinical psychology. That is where you're going through to be a therapist and you have patients and you talk to them about their their uh, issues or, or talk through stuff that's going on in their lives and you can diagnose. Psychology in general, you get different definitions, but the way I define it is like the scientific study of the mind. And so my um, social psychology is kind of how the context and people impact human behavior. So how, how does the context that you're in and the groups that you're in how does that impact your your attitudes, your beliefs, your behaviors? So that's 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 social psychology. Then there's industrial organizational psychology, which is kind of the psychology of work. 
So they do, yeah, industries and organizations. And so that's a lot of HR. Business consultants are IO. And then there's the cognitive neuroscience side of that's that's the fourth stream at Guelph. And so they're really studying. So the neuroscience is, you know, the the how the brain is and the chemical, like down to the chemicals. And then the cognitive side of it is, you know, fMRIs. You're looking at how how the mind is working. Um, yeah, memory reaction times to things that that kind of stuff and those are the people that are like mapping the brain and watching parts mm-hmm. light up when you feed them sugar that kind of neurology yes. yeah yeah that'd be more the neuroscience cognitive side of things yeah so although the brain is involved in all four of those and, and again there's there's more like streams of so those are the four manic wealth the brain is involved in all of them i'd say neuroscience and uh, cognitive have are, are more focused on the actual the brain itself Okay. I mean, I use my brain almost every day. I would say a majority of days. Yeah, I, I would hope so. Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, some days it feels like you're just on autopilot and you're not, nothing's going on up there. But uh, yeah, we, I mean, psychology isn't everyone, right? Everyone is interacting with it every day and, and it's impacting you in ways that you don't know. And, and it's, and it's impacting your behavior and the things that you do. And what I love about social psychology is it provides an explanation for why why people are doing what they do in a certain context. Uh, and that's what I really love about it. Yeah, so you are a social psychologist. Uh, if I had my PhD, I could call myself a social psychologist, okay. but I just have my master's in, in social psychology. So you work in social psychology. Correct, correct. And what kind of environment was built in order for you to have to use that nomenclature to describe yourself? Or is, that, <laughs> is that too meta? I don't want to go there. I feel like, yeah, once you have your PhD, I feel like you uh, you like to have that certain title of being called a psychologist. All right. So, okay, as a, uh, as a person who works in social psychology, mm-hmm. um, what 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 are you what are you doing? Let's be let's be real. Let's just get down. What are you doing? Well, with my research, uh, what I was doing with my research was I was looking at how social media was impacting people's um, group formation. Okay, so I was really interested in two aspects of the group. So one is called the group prototype, and so you can think about that as like the group stereotype. So a prototype is a it gets confusing because with, you know, products and stuff, a prototype is kind of the very first thing and it's 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 the first iteration and it's it's not the best, but a prototype in psychology you can think of as a stereotype. And so our brains work by categorizing, right? So we look at things and we're constantly categorizing objects, animals, whatever's in our whatever's in our visual field or environment, we're categorizing it to make sense of it. And so just as I would categorize, you know, um, uh, this chair as, as furniture and, and, and it provides me a quick understanding of what that thing is. It provides me an idea of how I can interact with it, which is a very adaptive behavior, right? If I were to come into a situation every time and have to figure out what a chair is every time I encounter it, that's going to take a lot of what's called cognitive economy. Right. So it'll take a lot of brain power (laughs) Um, to do that. Every time I encounter the same object, I have to figure it out again. So our brain categorizes things into buckets so that it's really quickly. I look at something and I go, "Okay, that looks like a chair. I can probably sit on it. I can probably use it as a tool for a certain for a certain outcome. So 
we do this with with everything we look at and and we also do with humans um so we put people into social categories okay and so you know looking at you um you look like a white male to me. Now you might not necessarily identify with that, but my perception of you at this time, you have glasses, you, you know, you white male, you are a, a student at the University of Guelph. That's another social category. So when you look at someone, you automatically put them into these categories and it gives you a quick perception of who they're going to be or maybe how they're going to behave. Um, and so Again, this is an adaptive behavior. It gives you a quick understanding, friend or foe. How should I change my language to talk to them? How should I, how should I present myself? All these things. And that's, in essence, stereotyping. Um, and it gives you a quick idea of, of the certain group that that person belongs to. Now, side tangent, when stereotyping goes wrong is when, you know, you associate really negative or very biased or inaccurate things to a social group, or it leads to prejudice and discrimination, right? That's kind of the, the, the negative side of having this, this really adaptive way of thinking. So I, I, I guess yeah. I, I have a question to go yeah. on your tangent, which I hope it doesn't derail too much. Yeah, okay. Are there positive stereotypes or, yeah. That's like, I mean, I think yeah. like a stereotype could be hardworking and I guess that would be positive, but I tend to think of a stereotype mm -hmm. as almost a negative. Am I wrong to feel that way? To be honest with you, I, I, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. I mean, so yeah. So like, let, let's take the example of traveling, right? Have, like, have you ever traveled abroad? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, so when I travel abroad, I'm Canadian and when you're abroad, right, the context is you're not in your home country. And so your your national identity, or at least mine, became extremely salient, right? It was very prominent to me what my identity was. Mm. And so one of the stereotypes that goes along with being a Canadian is you're extremely polite and friendly. And so when I was abroad, not to say that when I'm at home, I'm not polite and friendly, but when I was abroad, that was extremely salient for me. And so it did change my behavior to make sure I was kind of very polite and friendly. Whether that's a positive thing, I don't know. But the outcome, at least in my case, was positive. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know whether if there's ever like a, objectively this is a good stereotype to have. Because um, I feel like stereotyping is doing a blanket statement over people mm -hmm. within a category, which I think is problematic in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, I guess it's then the interpretation of the stereotype. Because I, if I'm if I'm being you know thinking outside the box a little bit, if I said, "Oh, you're a hardworking individual," and and people mm -hmm. who identify in the same way that you identify are hardworking, that could to someone be seen as a negative because it says, yeah. "Well, if you're hardworking, you don't care about your family, or if you're mm -hmm. hardworking, you most likely are not uh, as empathetic as some other yeah. people might be." So I get that's tricky so i and i think what's really tricky about it and and honestly lewis what i think a lot of people don't um consider or keep in the top of their head a lot is the context so context for me is an extremely important part of human behavior you can you can transplant the exact same situation or the exact same stimulus right someone says something to you in one context and you do that in a very different context and you'll elicit a very different reaction okay so like if you are at a party and someone says, 
here, have like have this beer. You'd probably not think like twice of it. But let's say you're at, I don't know, um, like a, a like a, 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 a playground. Let's say it's yeah. a children's playground. <laughs> playground, okay. And someone says, "Hey, have a beer." That's a very different context. You probably shouldn't. Yeah, you probably shouldn't do that <laughs> if there's kids around inside a playground, right? So context for me is everything. So I think to answer your question with that, there might be a context where that stereotype is taken extremely positively and and is is welcomed uh, and then i'm sure there's many contexts where it's not it could be extremely negative right all right so so this kind of loops back to what you were saying originally hmm. it's uh it's all about context and it's about how a specific environment elicits a specific response yes yeah so a specific yeah so what i was looking at so we we Categorize people in the, to to these groups, right? These and and these groups give us a social identity. And and what 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 happens with these groups is there's also norms that are associated with it, right? So, in as being a student at the University of Guelph, one norm might be um, students drink. Um, another norm for the like University of Guelph is environmental, uh, like more like environmentally conscious, right? Like there's this kind of sense of like Guelph's like kind of hippie, like, you know, cares about the environment, right? So there's a norm that kind of goes along with the University of Guelph. Maybe you would buy a plastic water bottle or like a reusable water bottle and, and carry it with you when, when you become a student now because you don't want to be seen with, you know, um, like one-use plastic water bottles. So every group has their norms and these norms kind of dictate how to behave when you when you are in that social context or when you are when you are succumbing to that social identity or belonging to that social identity it gives you a framework for how to behave so what i was really interested in is whether partying behavior at, at on social media was changing students group prototypes so their stereotype about a group was that stereotype started like was that if I was watching these videos, was my stereotype for a typical student, including more drinking and, and partying behaviors? Um, and then the second one was the norms. Was social uh, partying videos on social media changing my norm? So I'm actually thinking that that it's okay to drink a lot or, or my, my approval or my acceptance of drinking um, increases. So I feel like, okay, everyone at the university drinks or is okay with drinking so i must be, i if i'm a student i should be okay with it as well so I, that's what i was looking for i was looking to see if if watching these these videos on social media because i'm not sure if you've ever like engaged with canadian party life or any of these kind of like party pages on social media instagram uh, yeah i've that? seen them i've seen them before yeah so they're pretty prominent right and like and there's a lot of like pretty heavy drinking and pretty heavy partying on there um, and so I was really curious if this is impacting our our self categorization, our, our our social identities. Yeah, that that's fascinating in in so many different aspects. I I think everyone, anyone who's listening, will know that social media is having dramatic effects on us, um, even a, everyone of all ages. So much so, mm -hmm. but uh, in our generation where we tend to be a little bit more influenced by uh, what's happening on social media, this could be a really uh, big thing to study. So how does one even begin to tackle this kind of thing? Yeah, it's a good question, Lewis. Um, 
took a lot of thinking, <laughs> a lot yeah, of planning. Right. Yeah. So I know we were talking earlier before before we started recording about you know the experimentation and the scientific process for psychology, and so I decided to to design an experiment where I would bring participants into the lab and try and control um, what they saw. So essentially, what I did is I spent hours scouring social media. <laughs> and and collecting partying videos from these partying accounts and i had students come in at time one to the lab and they filled out a baseline measure of their group stereotypes um and so the the, the social category i was looking at was university of guelph students so because everyone was a university of guelph students so that's probably a part of their social identity to some extent right and so I wanted to see, I took a baseline measure of all my participants' um, group stereotypes. So, you know, what's a, what is their stereotype of the University of Guelph, typical University of Guelph student? And then I had them fill out also uh, norm baseline measures. So um, how much, how many drinks do you think a student has on a night out? And then also like a, a Likert scale of their, um, their perception of, of, of drinking at the University of Guelph, how accepting they think it is or how much they think students do. And it was a, it was a Likert scale that I had them fill out. And so at time two, when they came to the lab, they were randomly assigned to one of four conditions. And one of the conditions was what I called extreme partying or drinking. So it was a bunch of social media videos that I, that I took um, that depicted partying and drinking. And they're exposed to two and a half minutes of uh, these videos. And then the other three conditions, one saw like moderate drinking. So it was like, um, or, or there's alcohol cues present. So it was someone was studying and there was a beer on the table, but the main point of the video wasn't the alcohol, but the alcohol, there's an alcohol cue present. And then uh, this, the third condition saw just people being people. There was no alcohol present. It was just kind of like, you know, filming campus or people just talking. And then the fourth condition didn't see anything at all. That was my like hardcore control. And so then after these two and a half minutes of videos or, or no videos in the control, they then redid their stereotype measure and then they redid their uh, norm measures. And then I had them come back a week later for time three where they did the same measures again. They didn't see any alcohol cues or they weren't in any conditions. They just filled it out again. And so what I really wanted to see was from time one, to time three, was there, I guess also at time two, was there, a, uh, in those who saw the, the partying and drinking videos, did they use more partying and drinking words to describe the stereotypical student? And did their drinking norms increase? So did they perceive that more like that um, from time one to time two, did they think that actually students drank more than they originally thought at time one? And then I also want to see, was this sustained a week later? So, you know, after no, they, they weren't, they weren't primed with any videos or anything was, was this effect lasting? And so indeed I found that. So I found that after students saw those, those partying videos, they did use more partying and drinking words to describe the typical student compared to the other three conditions. Um, and, and the effect was, it was a large effect as well. It was like 0.7. Um, which is that's that's really large. Yeah, yeah, and and I also had power, right? So I and I met my power. So like my my sample size was good. So I, I wasn't underpowered or anything like that. My sample size was good, and then and then a week later, that fact was still there for the stereotype words. 
And then same with the 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 norm. Students increased their their norm perception by a full drink um, after they saw these videos, uh, and also they were they were more um, their their uh, drinking norm like the the Likert scale that I used as well that also increased. So I did see these these uh, this effect of just two and a half minutes of videos of partying and drinking um, can change group formation can change like identity perception right which is pretty wild that honestly it's it's kind of scary in its own sense uh like just hearing those results like the 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 videos that you're watching can really change your behavior so i i I should qualify this i didn't actually have a behavior measure so i didn't actually so this is just all perception right okay yeah so the big so that's kind of you know if i were to pursue a phd I would follow this study up with trying to see if now there's a behavior change, um, which, you know, we could get into an ethical conversation. Yeah, this. yeah. <laughs> Ooh, too much but, for public radio. Yeah. I, I showed change in thinking, um, which. That's still pretty t- profound. T- yeah. Is, I mean, change in thinking is typically the precursor to change in behavior, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, it, it, it was pretty prof- – and I, I, to be honest with you, I didn't expect to find that effect mm-hmm. because I thought students were going to come in, and students did come in with a pretty high norm already. So I was like, okay, they can't move that much, right? Like I, I, I thought it was going to be a small effect size, but I found a very large effect size, especially on the stereotypes. Yeah. All right. So, so it didn't necessarily matter if these people identified as partiers – or not partiers. So that that takes that kind of uh, behavioral aspect out of it. It was just how their baseline level changed. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So I had, I did have in there, like, I did ask them about their drinking behavior. And so I had a measure on how much they drank in the past month, in the past week. And so I did have that measure there. And I used that, um, I ran like I, I didn't include this in my my manuscript or my thesis, but I did just look at the data to see if that was like a like um, a variable that was not a confounding variable, but like a control variable to see if that was um, impacting the data. And it wasn't. So people who had variance in how much they drank didn't really uh, impact their then perception. So for example, if I drank really low and I saw these videos, my norm perception or stereotypes didn't jump up considerably more than those who had higher drinking and who might be more um, uh, engaged in this behavior or these types of videos than than other people. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was like exactly what my follow-up question was going to be, because I would have assumed that someone who uh, maybe drinks a lot would tend to think, like after seeing these videos, oh, it's not that big of a deal, not that much changes in my mind. Yeah. Um, but you you tested for this. You made sure that it wasn't. Uh, due to this effect yes yes I, I i did look at that and that's where that's where the behavioral piece will be extremely interesting there's a lot of literature that looks at drinking on campus this is this is there's a ton of literature out there and they look at the social norms so they look at people's perspective or, or perception of other students drinking are, are other students how much do other students drink and are they approving of drinking and so time and time again, they show this like discrepancy that people's perception of the drinking norm is actually a lot higher than what the true drinking norm is. So this is a this is an important uh, distinction to make because 
oftentimes we perceive things and we perceive people's behavior, but that might not actually be an accurate representation of what is truly going on. So, so and, and I, I feel like I, I feel like I'm getting this right now. You're telling me <laughs> there is a stereotype that we associate. Yes. Yes. With, uh, are, you, are you meaning with students in particular? With students in particular. Did I, yeah. did I just pass psychology 101 or like? You did. You did. You're, you're in there, man. I think you can get your first year psych credit. You're going on to second year. All right. Deal. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, cause man, like everyone just wants to belong, right? Everyone just wants to feel accepted. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Very rarely are you excited that you didn't fit into the group you wanted to fit in with, right? Like yeah. most people want to be accepted with the groups that they want to, they want to belong to. And so in order to do that, we want to stay within our, the norm perception, right? If, if I think that a, a group behaves a certain way, I don't want to then do the exact opposite of that because then I'll have like a social sanction put on me. They'll shun me. They won't, they won't ask me to do things. They might be upset at me because I, you know, caused a riff in the group, whatever it might be. So people typically like to stay within their, their norm perceptions. Right. And so if you perceive that students drink a lot and you perceive that students are okay with drinking, and then you go to a party and it confirms that perception, well, then you probably are going to engage in that behavior as well. And then it's a cyclical process or it's, it's a cycle where you then will probably drink more and perceive and, and seem like you are more accepting of drinking as well. And so someone looking at you will be like, oh, that person's okay with it. And then it's just a domino effect. And so in social psychology, this is called pluralistic ignorance. And so pluralistic ignorance is exactly this. I, I disagree, or I might have a different um, understanding of, or, or feeling towards the group norm. So I might not actually want to drink that much, but I perceive that everyone else really wants to drink that much. And so I don't say anything. And then I just go along with it and match my behavior. And so then you are now feeling the exact same way as me, but you're looking at me and being like, oh, well, Josh is drinking a lot and he seems like he's really accepting of this behavior. I don't want to voice my opinion because he might be like, Lewis, no, man, everyone likes to drink, like, right? And, and so then you engage in that behavior. So it's just kind of this like silent cycle of, of, of it just perpetuates itself where everyone, as long as no one says something, everyone's just going to presume, like perceive that they, everyone agrees with it, right? This is, uh, this is fascinating stuff to me. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. like blown away by this. And I think the, the part that I, I find super interesting, um, which will lead to like a lot of questions that I only have so much time that you can answer <laughs> is, uh, you said that thought is the thing that happens before action. So you you just studied perception. You studied thought. You studied not necessarily that thing happening in the environment, but you studied what people thought about that thing happening. Correct. Why do I care? Like <laughs> honestly, why do, why did the government like fund you to do this? Uh, why why do you care? Well, like I said, so thought is the precursor to to behavior, um, and so if my thinking is becoming more extreme. So let's take polarization via social media. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, that's a big topic. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm engaging in social media, I'm reading all these things, and I'm seeing that the left or the right is acting a certain way. And so I then 
start to think, okay, well, the whatever side you want to land on is crazy, is nuts, is 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 wrong, is all this. Well, then that can that can then lead to my behavior of the certain how I then behave towards that group. So this gets into in-group, out-group behaviors, right? So it, so taking a step back and going back to categorization, we can categorize on many different levels. So something called superordinate categorization, that's, that's, that's the highest level of abstraction, okay? So that's like humans versus animals, very high level of abstraction. We are all, we are now all part of the same social category. We're not different. We're humans and they're animals. We're all accepted as one. Then you can go a layer down which now you get into like groups of humans, okay? So you can have students versus non-students. You can have um, left versus right. So now we have more division, but still kind of a, a bigger blanket of, of acceptance or of that, that group people together. And then we have a, a layer down of abstraction called um, superordinate. So subordinate, or sorry, subordinate, uh, subordinate is at the bottom, superordinate is at the top. And that's, that's individuals. So I, as a student, yes, I belong to the, the identity of, of, you, of a student at Guelph, but I'm also an individual within that. And, and I have differences between the individuals within my group. Okay. So we have different levels of abstraction. And typically though, we, we think in that second level of, abs, of abstraction, in-group versus out-group. And so if my thinking is starting to become more polarized, okay, so I'm starting to to see that the right or the left is thinking extremely polarized on their end, in order for me to really counteract or, or really be a part of the, the opposing identity, I'm also gonna become a little bit more polarized. I'm gonna not really see this gray because I, wanna, I want to separate and have this in-group, out-group kind of distinction. And so then that will then lead to behaviors or discussions or, or or outcomes that um, I might not have even necessarily wanted to to engage in before I was like um, exposed to social media. So, for example, so let's let's go with with drinking again. I'm now exposed to these things, and I now think drinking is okay. All right. So I might go to a party, and I might see someone jump off a roof onto a table, and my first thought isn't that's crazy. This person needs help, or or we, we can't be doing this. My first thought might be like, oh, that's funny. I've seen that done before. So again, I might necessarily engage in that behavior, but now my reaction to that behavior has been changed. And I don't think that's actually that extreme anymore. And so you can kind of take this idea and, and extrapolate where you go, uh, or I might have thought that behavior is extremely extreme before, <laughs> but now I don't because I've been exposed to such extreme things on social media. This is just normal. For that group to do when in actuality it's pretty pretty crazy this is such a pertinent topic i think in uh <laughs> politics and and honestly this is not where the the this episode is heading we are not going to go into a political yeah. discussion <laughs> um but but i think that that is super pertinent because we tend to put ourselves in kind of little echo chambers don't we yes yes definitely um yeah, so echo chambers and confirmation bias, right? So we typically, the people that we have on our social media typically think like us. And so what we tend to then see is posts that align with our thinking, okay? So then we we then 
are validated with how we think. We go, okay, everyone kind of thinks this way. And then that provides an echo chamber. You then put something out there that is in line with how everyone thinks. They give you a lot of comments that are positive feedback. And you just go, okay, this is how everyone thinks. And so that leads to a confirmation bias and yeah, an echo chamber. And also something called a false consensus effect, which is where you overestimate the amount of people that think like you. So you think, okay, everyone is, is like the, the majority of people think like me. How could they not? Like, I'm, I'm right on all these stances. Yeah. And so that's a false consensus because you are only being confirmed with the information or the opinions that you put out there. And so, it, it, again, it's, it's cyclical. It just keeps it's a feedback loop coming back on itself and reaffirming your beliefs. Yeah. You're, you're hitting home right now. Like you're, you're hitting it at the heart. And I like, you're describing these things and I'm like, Oh yeah, I do that. I do that. Oh God, I do that. Oh, yeah. my God, I really do that. And Lewis, Whoa. yeah, Lewis, I don't think you're alone in that. I feel hey, at least I got other people yeah. that do it with me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the toughest thing, right? Like if, if you really want to become a better thinker, it's exposure to opposing opinions, but that's also very, you also have to take a lot of time to critically think. And, and again, I don't want to go on a tangent, but I feel like people just don't have enough time or don't give themselves enough time to really think about how they feel and really think about their behavior and what they're doing. But that could be a conversation for another time. Yikes. Yeah. And that, that, that is, um, I think thinking on its own, critically thinking is probably one of the toughest things mm -hmm. you can ask a person to really do. Honestly, like as a scientist, critically thinking is so hard. Oh my God, it's so hard. <laughs> it's, it's, well, I think it's hard because we have so many distractions, Lewis. Like I, I feel like if you, if you were distraction free and you had two hours to sit down, even an hour to sit down and really think through a problem and, and think through the system and think through, you know, first order, second order effects, you would be, I think, amazed at what you could accomplish with no distractions. But we are constantly buzzed and pinged in our attention, right? Our attention is like the number one thing. Attention guides guides thinking. And so if you're constantly being pulled away and, and beeped and buzzed and, and, and looking at all these different um, uh, social medias. So it, what it sounds to me is that these are kind of like the first levels of critical thinking. In, in its own sense. Um, so like I'm, I'm listening to you right now as we're talking and someone who's listening to this episode may not have been even aware of any of these concepts. And I was not aware of so many okay. of these concepts myself, but that kind of whets my curiosity. Yeah. And it allows me to realize that there is more going on than I could have ever thought there was going on. And that kind of opens up that, uh, mm -hmm. that thinking outside my own little bubble in its own sense. Definitely, Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was your appetite. So now you go, okay, wh what other, what other material can I consume or, or to, to really learn more about this, right? There, there's a whole other world out there that now I'm, now I know a sliver about how can I find more about it out, out more about it? How can this now change my life? How can, how can I incorporate what I've learned now into my daily, my daily life? That's that's the precursor to critical thinking or the precursor to learning and and wanting to learn is curiosity, really, right? That's beautiful. I'm I'm a, I'm I'm about to cry. Like, <laughs> I, I, I feel so emotional right now. So then, uh, to wrap things up, to sure. to to put a nice little bow on everything at the end, 
Um, what would you say the moral of the story is? Uh, why, why should we care about what you researched? My main takeaway from my research was, yeah, I didn't, I didn't show behavior change, but I did show a change in thinking. It's taking that step back and, and, and looking at your social media feeds and saying, how is this impacting me? How is, how is, how is my thinking changed on certain topics? And this goes back to taking, it's deep thinking, right? It takes time to really analyze and be critical, which, which, um, I think is hard to do nowadays, but yeah, it's, it's taking that step back and maybe reflecting on your life and thinking maybe my, the way I think is not correct. It's just being reinforced or it's being skewed by what I'm, what I'm looking at. That's a, it's a beautiful takeaway. And I feel like now I'm going to definitely be more conscious of that just from having this conversation alone. Like uh, tonight when I'm endlessly scrolling through social media, <laughs> Uh, avoiding doing like my job, right. I will think to myself like, oh gosh, maybe I feel this way because for years people have been saying that this is the way I feel. Yeah. And Lewis, there's, there's also something called an extreme bias on social media. So mm -hmm. there, the two, to be honest with you, there hasn't been a lot of research done on it. Um, but the, the research I have read has shown that social media presents more of an extreme reality than offline. So you scrolling and, and it might not seem like you're doing much like cognitively engaging in this really with what you're looking at. You're just passively scrolling. But you're still taking in that content and you're still having these like little micro um, processes of, well, that person in that relationship looks great. Wow. That person is more fit than me. Wow. That person's living a very extreme life. Like they're, they're partying, they they're traveling. Wow. They look, and, and it, I think it can be this, you only seen the highlight reel, right? And I, know, I feel like people have talked about this a lot. You're seeing this highlight reel on social media that doesn't really reflect reality, but we perceive, I feel like we perceive it is reality. And then we look at our own life and we go, man, my life's mundane. And then, and so I, so I think my, my future, if I were to do a follow-up study, I would really like to look at the intersection of mental health in this and look at how, if you feel non-normative. So if you're looking and you think the, the norm of the group is X and you feel like you're outside that norm, well, you can do one of two things. You can either change your behavior to then be with the group, or you can distance yourself from the group and, and maybe start to feel a negative emotion. Um, and and maybe, that's, maybe that's contributing to a rise in, in negative mental health. That, it's fascinating. So it's such a fascinating field. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. I barely know even what to think or what to say at this point, um, <laughs> which I feel like that that's when we just say, like, let's cut it. Let's say thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> I don't want to think that much harder for the rest of the episode. So we'll just end it. Sounds good. Sounds good. Sound like, yeah. Well, thanks so much for uh, talking with us today, Josh. Um, if you want more information about this, we'll post some links and stuff uh, in the archives so that you could learn more about these things and uh, touch on a few of those topics that we discussed today. Thank you so much, Lewis. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. In 30 minutes, Josh has made us think a lot about thinking. And although I'm certainly grateful that he introduced so many new topics to us, I am a little bit overwhelmed myself, I can't lie. But moral of the story is that we are constantly engaging with internet content, and sometimes watching this content can actually change our perception of 
other content or things that are happening in the real world. So we have to really investigate what we're watching and how that might change our perception of things when we're watching things. It certainly adds to a whole series of global polarization that's happening in the world right now. And really the first steps to addressing that is by addressing it by yourself. So maybe next time you're scrolling, think about how other people might not think the same way that you think, and how potentially seeing what you see might even further deepen your own beliefs. Like with social media, oftentimes you always kind of think you're right because other people are saying that you're right. Well, that's not necessarily the truth, and that's certainly not always the truth on We Know Some Stuff, because we always have to include a fact check at the end of the episode just to say, hey, maybe we don't know everything. So after listening to this episode, we came to the conclusion that we wanted to clarify the idea of the echo chamber of sorts. We tend to surround ourselves with groups of people who have a lot of similar thoughts, but when we do that online, there's a lot more that's going on behind the scenes. Oftentimes, the social media sites are using their own algorithms in order to choose what content we want to listen to. If anything from this episode resonated with you, we suggest that you watch the Netflix docuseries The Social Dilemma. But while watching, be careful, and remember that some of your own views might get a little bit, you know, let's just say enhanced from watching it. Moral of that story, keep an open mind. And if this stuff seems a little intimidating, I'm going to end the show with just a little clip of me having a tough time even conceptualizing what the heck that Josh was talking about. This is so interesting and in such a, a deep field. And I, I'm honestly, you, you've piqued my interest, like unbelievably so. Uh, but at the same time, I'm feeling like almost overwhelmed yeah. with with what what you're saying, and 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 I think that that probably happens a lot in like psychology, um, because I I study corn, <laughs> you know, yeah. so yeah. Hmm. <laughs> you know, Luce, I feel like it's all relative. Like if you if I've been engaging with this these concepts for a while now, so from to me they feel second nature. But if you were to break down, you know the the genetics of of corn or or the biology of uh, you look at food degradation like the de yes. decomposition man i would be super overwhelmed and i'm sure there's a dirt like a, a huge breadth of of literature and knowledge directly on that that concept itself how food breaks down and i would just be overwhelmed by it so i think it's all relative based on uh based on what you what you study and and, and put your time into if listening to this episode changed your mind about anything, well, then I guess we kind of technically did our job. Either way, thanks for listening to another episode of We Know Some Stuff.